Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. The enemy has fiery darts he wants to throw at you. You have to take that shield of faith according to Ephesians 6.16. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. That's what we have to do. There are times you have to just stand firm and you have to resist those negative thoughts, those negative emotions that those thoughts create, those condemning words of what happened. No, no, it's under the blood. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and feet Today, as we continue our study of forgiveness, we'll be told to remember the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of all sin. Pastor Ed will warn us not to allow Satan to keep us in our bondage. The enemy will continue to fire condemning thoughts at us, but stand firm in God's forgiveness. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Resist the devil and receive God's forgiveness. Accept God's grace and remember that we have been forgiven of all of our sins. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. Building in Faith Accepting doesn't mean approving. You're not sitting approvingly at yourself and saying, no, that's okay. No, 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 I'm not referring to that at all. I'm not referring to antinomianism, just going on and doing whatever you want. No, no, no. There are consequences bound up in every sin. And every act of disobedience, with every sin, is bound its own punishment. But recognizing in the midst of that that you can find forgiveness and that you could grow in holiness and sanctification. Accepting your past, what you've done. The lies you've told, the sins you've committed, the wrongs you've committed, the times you've walked away from God and you just acted like nothing happened. David had to accept himself. Isn't it something that God doesn't cover up the sins of his children? In the scriptures, he shows them flaws and all, warts and all. He paints for us an accurate, realistic picture of what they're like. Not like contemporary biographies and contemporary histories of people that sort of hide the flaws and faults. God says, here it is. But there's forgiven by grace. Accepting your past, but also something else, accepting your limitations. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Uh, Recognize there are some things that you will have an Achilles heel for. You grew up as a child, and maybe those things that happened in your home predisposed you to have a short fuse or predisposed you to sort of get through life by manipulation or, 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 or doing things that were wrong, uh, recognizing 
that sometimes even the natural things that you wish you could do, that you'll never be good at. Recognizing your limitations. What sometimes happens is we erect standards that are beyond our reach, beyond our abilities. Recognizing that we have our limitations. Some of us are angry with God because we won't be able to win the beauty contest. Or because we can't learn as someone else can. We don't have this academic inclination. Or we can't work with our hands as someone else can. And we sometimes look at ourselves with a judgmental heart and a judgmental attitude. And we won't forgive ourselves. We all have our limitations. Carl Menninger, a famed psychiatrist, said if he could convince patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, he said 75% of them would walk out. They'd be cured. God came and he knew all the mistakes that you would make, all the wanderings that you would do, all the times that you would fall flat on your face. And he forgives. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that God forgave an Abraham who lied and put his wife in jeopardy. I'm I'm saying that God forgave a Jacob who was a supplanter, a deceiver, who robbed his own brother of his birthright and said, Jacob, have I loved? What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that God forgave David, who sinned so horribly, but found mercy at God's throne of grace. I'm saying that there's nothing that you've done, there's no place that you've been, there's no skeleton in your closet that God can't clean out and forgive. Bring it to him. Lay it at the cross. Ask him for forgiveness. Accept your past. You've done some things. Don't deny it. Accept your limitations. Recognize that there are frailties that you have. And then you have to do something else. You have to reject something. Reject the accuser. In Revelation chapter 12, verses, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. You have an arch enemy. He's Satan. You have someone who wants to defeat you, cripple you, bind you and blind you. He's Satan. And he wants to accuse you. He does that before God day and night. Accusing you and saying, "Uh, that person's not worthy. She's not worthy. He's not worthy. God, discard them. When the enemy comes with his words and plants them in your mind, you must recognize them. In Philippians, the Bible tells us in the book of Philippians that We are to think about good things, pure, lovely, admirable, anything if it's praiseworthy. 
Let me give you some of Satan's vintage thoughts. This is vintage Satan. When you have thoughts come into your mind and it's a put down. God doesn't put you down. He builds you up. God doesn't come to just destroy you. He comes to build you up. He he wants to raise you to heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, When you feel absolutely demoralized by words or thoughts, when you feel oppressed, when the spirit of heaviness hovers over you because of thoughts and thinkings and feelings and emotions that come in, you, you know what that is? That's the enemy of your soul. When thoughts come into your mind so that you feel there's no positive way forward, you feel absolutely hopeless, you feel there's no way out, you're on a cul-de-sac, you're just going in circles, no way out. That's the enemy of your soul. Uh, When the results of your thoughts put you in bondage, when you cannot forgive yourself and you're immobilized, you're unable to move forward. That's the enemy of your soul. When crippling reoccurrences of the past or sins or failures come and they're like chains and shackles on your soul and mind and spirit so that you can't have freedom with God, and you've already repented, you've already put it at the cross, you've already asked the blood of Jesus to cover you, know that it's not God, but it's the enemy of your soul. You know, Satan wants to accuse you. You have to recognize that he wants to dominate your thinking and he wants to control your thought life. Uh, Sometimes you have to discern, where is this voice coming from? It could be the word of another Christian, but those words are not Christ's words to you. It could be a thought that just comes into your mind. It could be that because from your own fallen nature, a melancholy spirit, that you, you tend to be so self-critical. You have that tape playing over and over and over and over that keeps you from walking and enjoying and embracing God's forgiveness and it could be Satan I like the old song that says my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name that's where it is it's in Jesus it's in the blood of the Lamb of God when Satan comes You live under the blood of the Lamb of God. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the dead. What he is saying is there has to be a testimony. I've been forgiven and God has given me mercy and grace. Peter, it was said one day he was preaching many years after the resurrection, after Pentecost. And as he was preaching... In the middle of a sermon, he heard the crowing of a rooster. He stopped, became silent, 
Then he lifted up his head and he preached with greater fervor and greater anointing than he had even before at Rusakrot. He remembered the forgiveness, grace, the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of all sin. You know, the Bible tells us that we must recognize, but we must also do something else. We must resist Satan. Satan's going to come pounding at your heart's door, at your mind's door. And the Bible tells us, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Take the promise from God's word. Take the promise of scripture. The enemy has fiery darts he wants to throw at you. You have to take that shield of faith according to Ephesians 6.16. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. That's what we have to do. There are times you have to just stand firm and you have to resist those negative thoughts, those negative emotions that those thoughts create, those condemning words of what happened. No, no, it's under the blood. Paul, how could you go on serving God? It's under the blood. Peter, how could you go on serving God? It's under the blood. David, how could you go on serving God? It's under the blood. Abraham, how could you go on serving God? It's under the blood. Moses, how could you go on and serve God after you'd say, it's under the blood? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sins. Ah, this next one is the final key that I want to focus on this morning. Accept God's grace. We forget this. And it's human in our nature to try and somehow justify ourselves before God. Uh, we just want to justify ourselves. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul reminds us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What we have to do is reject all self-righteousness. Remember, all of our good works are like filthy rags before God. There's nothing you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. It's already been done on the cross. What happens is, when you live in self-righteousness, you reject the imputed righteousness that God wants to give you. You reject the robe of righteousness that God wants to place over you. Uh, the self-righteous are very judgmental towards others, but they can be very condemning of themselves and far harder on themselves. And they can fall into the snare of the enemy of their soul, Satan. When we're self-righteous, we want to feel somehow I'm going to punish myself enough. I'm going to atone for my own sin. That's really a form of pride in disguise. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. So all of us, whether we're saved yesterday or we've been saved 50 years ago, we cling to that old rugged cross. That's our only refuge. 
Sin keeps us, self-righteousness keeps us from objectively seeing ourselves. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus had a word of knowledge and said, you've been with five men now, and the one you're living with now isn't your husband. She met the Savior. Her heart was broken. She knew that she was a sinner. She went away with joy in her heart. But when the Pharisees, the self-righteous, who commended themselves to God came and Jesus spoke, his words were like arrows of conviction. They went away with hardened hearts and grieved spirits because they were self-righteous and didn't realize that they had to completely throw themselves at the foot of the cross and the only way to have acceptance with God is what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, Self-righteous people can embrace amazing grace. It has to be amazing works that they embrace. We forgive ourselves by not wallowing in self-pity. We have to reject self-pity. Not only self-righteousness, but self-pity. Often, we don't realize that self-pity is a product of pride. You say, how does that happen? Well, uh, Dr. John Piper said pride is at the bottom of self-pity. In Job 19.21, listen to Job's words. Although I am blameless, I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. He said, I cursed the day I was even born. What had happened is Job didn't understand all the things that he was going through. God was breaking Job down so that he wouldn't be self-righteous, but God-righteous. He was a good man. He was the best man of his time. But sometimes we confuse our righteousness with our acceptance before God. Our acceptance before God is based on his righteousness, the gift of his forgiving love. And that's what Job had to realize, and he got into this pity party. Remember the great prophet? The prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 9, 4, it says, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Well, who told you you were better than your ancestors? He was wallowing in self-pity because he had set this standard up that he was going to be better than his ancestors, that he was the only one in Israel that was still faithful and true. And he said, God had to say to him, I have 7,000 that have not yet bowed their knee to Baal. What happens sometimes is we wallow in self-pity because of pride. We're made of all the same stuff, the clay, that Mother Teresa, that Ted Bundy, that it's the same clay we're all made of. In all of us, there are heaven's heights, hell's depths. We're all sinners. 
But what we desperately need is to live in the shadow of the cross and to live at Mount Calvary and let the blood of Christ be applied to our hearts on a daily basis and know that our acceptance before God is based on what he has done. And when we fully accept that, we can receive his love and then our heart becomes an echo chamber to return and to love the Lord. We love him because he first loved us. R.T. Kendall said, foolishly we tell ourselves we don't deserve Christ's atonement, that we are so pitifully, pitiful and unworthy and that we should pay for our own sins. It's paid for on the cross. There's nothing we could add to it and nothing we can subtract from it. Just believe it and accept it. Just embrace it. That's the only place. One of our presidents, James Garfield, was a lay preacher and the principal of a denominational college. He could write in Greek and Latin, he was ambidextrous with one hand and the other hand at the same time in Greek and Latin. He was brilliant. He was elected president and he was shot in the back. Uh, The doctors probed for that bullet and they couldn't find it. They stuck their finger in it. They stuck the instruments in it. Uh, He was in a weakened state. They sent him back to Washington, D.C., And there for months, he grew weaker and weaker because the doctors and they even called uh, up uh, Alexander Graham Bell from what I, as I was reading, it was hard to believe. They called him up and said, is there a way you could detect that metal inside of him? And, And they kept on probing. And so the months passed by and finally he died. But he died not from the bullet wound, but from the constant infection and wound that was opened up. And there are some Christians who wither in their relationship to God and fall away because they constantly probe into their life and they constantly review and rehearse and remember their past, their sin over and over again and the accuser of the brethren comes right beside them and aids them in doing it instead of taking it letting it stay nailed to the cross and recognizing if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us the scripture says in 1st John 1 8 and 9 If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. As we close the message, I want to ask you, have you forgiven yourself? Have you released it? Left it? You let someone down you loved? You've let yourself down. You've tripped up. Have you left it at the cross? Left it at Calvary? 
That's where it belongs. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a sobering portion of Scripture that Pastor Ed will be tackling, along with others that speak of forgiveness. In fact, Pastor Ed is currently teaching a five-part series entitled Forgiveness. Building in Faith is the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you can find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith and to access the archive of messages, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Building in Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Building in Faith. Your word restores.